Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. As the cost of healthcare continues to rise, employers are getting more involved in their employees' health and identifying ways they can intervene to help get employees who have chronic conditions healthy or access to the care they need, and also how to keep employees who are already healthy from getting sick. This is Laura Jost, Associate Editorial Director of the American Journal of Managed Care. Recently, I attended the Midwest Business Group on Health's 39th Annual Conference in Chicago, where I spoke with Cheryl Larson, the President and CEO, and Denise Giambalvo, Vice President, both of the Midwest Business Group on Health. In the following interview, the first person you'll hear speaking is Cheryl. So what are some popular initiatives employers are launching to improve their employees' health? So we continue to see a lot in the area of wellness uh, and well-being. Well-being looking at the, uh, the person holistically. And adding to that holistic health would be things like financial wellness, um, ways to help them better navigate healthcare services, even some concierge things like helping with caregiver support, just filling in the gaps of the areas to help support employees and their family members so that they're not stressed. I shared yesterday at the conference that the top triggers and barriers to getting people to engage or change their health um, and, and go on the path of, of healthier behaviors are uh, time, they lack time, they lack trust, one of our conference elements, trust that they don't know what the health plan or the employer is going to do with their health information. They lack time because often they're working more hours than they expected to, so they don't have the same amount of time with family and friends. Um, convenience, if something isn't convenient, like healthy eating or working out because they have a family. Cost is a big issue. We're seeing it with high deductible health plans and people not getting needed care. They often feel that eating healthy is difficult to do if you don't have money to pay for the more expensive uh, fruits and vegetables and things like that. And then finally, stress is a huge issue. And I know a big part of our conference is on mental health and Uh, One of the things that we talked about yesterday and a key trend is employers focusing on multiple people with multiple chronic conditions. And as Dee Eddington from the University of Michigan always said, if you, you know, got, if you can get your high-risk people down to mid and your mid-risk people down to low, you've had an accomplishment. But usually people with a few risk factors can have anywhere from three to four to five. And so people with multiple chronic conditions are not just dealing with one thing. And when you're treating someone who may have diabetes, you also have to treat the depression that they may have. You have to treat the um, absenteeism and presenteeism issues related to that, and certainly all the other comorbidities that go with that. Uh, We also see trends in the advocacy navigation space. And I see these programs as the gap fillers for, let's say you've got a disease management vendor and you've got lifestyle management and wellness and well-being programs, but these are really helping people navigate the system in a way that those other programs don't do and helping them know what questions to ask, what their treatment options are, uh, just giving them more information so that they can make smarter healthcare decisions, which in the end is what employers want. And then finally, We coined the term benefits literacy during research we did a number of years ago. We knew that there are health literacy issues, but 
really the average employer does not understand their summary plan description they don't understand what benefits are available to them sometimes the communications are not clear or integrated you know i always say it's very very important that your communications your benefit communications your well-being communications must be sequenced over time to build on each other and then reinforced so that they're reminded that they have mental health benefits through their EAP and working on the stigma related to that. And are these programs and initiatives that employers are um, utilizing helping to improve things like the presenteeism and absenteeism issues? When the programs are thoughtfully integrated, the vendors are actually working together. The health plans are working with the vendors They're using data to bring the experience together to see that it's working. Even looking at it's not easy for employers to track absenteeism and presenteeism because absenteeism, people, uh, employers don't track, they don't track absenteeism while you're sick. Is it a a sick day? Is it a a personal day? It's all part of a PTO bank. So it's much harder for us to track absenteeism, but they have a pretty good idea when somebody has put it on workers' comp claim or some of the other things. They have a pretty good idea, even though we can't see our medical claims, what's, what's generally going on, and they do get reports from their data analytics companies. But there are things that they can do to address those issues. Even something as simple as working with a key group of your supervisors or managers to train them on the programs that are available. I always think beyond um, uh, HHS's requirement for uh, the benefits overview, having at least once or twice a year an overview of all the things available, all the phone numbers, all the URLs, who they can contact for things and then reinforcing that over time. And if you're, if you're training volunteers or managers or supervisors who an employee often will go to, uh, then you're, you're gonna really help fill those gaps as well. So what steps are employers taking to improve access to care? So there are a number of different steps that they're taking. One is we're, we are seeing more employers doing on-site or near-site clinics. So that certainly increases access for primary care, typically, is, is what they're doing. Um, they're also doing um, direct contracting. So we are, I think it was in 2017, only 3% of the large employers were doing anything for ACOs, um, you know, COEs, centers of excellence, and um, patient-centered medical homes. And that now we've seen an uptick to about 11%. So there's still a tremendous opportunity for them to do more around that. But by doing those direct contracts, um, part of that contract is, and you will have services available for our employees, right, so that they know that they can get in when they're needed. Uh, So that certainly helps improve access. And then um, the use of advocacy has really helped because they're able to get them to the right doctor time and there's someone out there helping them with getting those appointments so those are the different levers that they're pulling right now and so those are all around access um so with that increased access are they seeing increased like engagement amongst the employees that they're using these services more things like that so engagement's a whole other piece (laughs) (laughs) um I, i i'm I, I can't say for certain that engagement has increased. 
with that. Um, I can say that engagement is a big concern for employees, employers, and they're working really hard to engage their employees, and they're investing in platforms that help them to do that. Uh, so they're, they're certainly doing their best to get the word out that the services are there. Not just for that, but actually engaged in their own wellness and well-being, right? So um, being more of the consumer to look for what's best for them and to ask for the services. And as healthcare becomes increasingly expensive and complicated, what education efforts are employers undertaking to educate employees and ensure they actually understand and use their benefits outside of the reaching out multiple times a year to them? And that's the benefits literacy thing, right? It's right there. And we developed a, a toolkit, an employer toolkit on communications, and we're in the middle of updating it. But we wanted them to know that maybe the ways that you communicate with, with family members is different th than the way you might communicate with employees. There's things that you want to talk about that are related to the work site versus what might be going on at home. So looking at multiple communication vehicles based on the population, the industry, um, union, non-union, um, based on the educational level of the folks, you've got to reach them where they're at. You've got to personalize communications. Um, but I think also part of this, and I'm a big believer in telling, sharing with employees what the company is actually paying for their health care costs and what the employer is paying and what the employee portion is so they can see really how much the employer is paying. A lot of times they don't recognize that it's as much as it is and that they have the benefits that they have. We're fortunate to have employers that are forward thinking and are trying to remove the triggers and barriers to people getting the right care at the right time and being involved in, in programs. And, and a great example is today I might not be ready to change my behavior for something but something happens to me in my life and next week I might be ready. But if I don't have the right programs in place, I'm just gonna slip right through the cracks. So it's important that employers be thinking about that based on their industry and culture. And what are employers doing to curb the high cost of drugs? I think they're kind of all over the place with that, right? So when, you, when you're talking about a small to mid-sized employer, they're relying a lot on their PBM to tell them what to do. Um, so in that case, they're getting some maybe narrower formularies. Um, they're doing some work with their plan design to redirect. And then we know there are many more high deductible health plans, so they're certainly shifting cost to their members. And that's been a huge issue, um, along with um, them looking at uh, copay accumulators, right? and not allowing um, coupons to be applied and, um, and some kind of additional penalties to the, uh, to the member. So not what we would recommend, right, for, um, for optimal health of a person to shift more costs to them for their drugs, but it is something that employers are doing. Now on the flip side, um, there are employers who are um, against working with formulary, but they're taking a really hard look. They have a clinical team checking to see um, what's the least expensive drug within a drug classification um, and making sure and, and that has just as good of an outcome, if not better, than uh, either a more expensive generic or 
um, even a brand. And so they're directing their um, members to the, um, the best outcome at the lowest net cost. Uh, they're excluding drugs that just aren't necessary. Um, to at least to have access to um, through the pharmacy, um, or I should say through the pharmacist because they can purchase it over the counter. Uh, and then they're, they're excluding drugs that um, are combinations. So when you break them out, um, it, it's, it ends up being two drugs that you could get for less than $40 but they're charging $1,000, $2,000 a script for you to get the, um, the ease of taking one pill as opposed to a couple. Um, they're working with their, their benefit design to make some changes. Um, so they're making sure that their, their members have access to their preventative drugs, so they'll bring the copay down for those, or they'll do no copay at all it's a maintenance medication because they want to make sure that they stay adherent. Um, so that doesn't necessarily bring your drug costs down immediately, right? Because you're increasing utilization. But when you look at it over the long term of the total impact on your um, medical costs, you're reducing the incidence of ER visits and um, you know hospitalization, lost time at work and, and other things like that by making sure that um, they have access to their, their drugs. Um, they can also do reference-based pricing, so, and that's also, again, with driving them to the lowest net cost drug that's going to get you the same or better outcome. So specialty drugs is, specialty drugs, right, biologics, the, um, it's, it's a grouping of its own and employers are uh, doing their best to address those costs too. Um, and there's, there's only so much they can do with that right now. The, the biggest piece is having an independent clinical team reviewing those drugs after, when they come out to market to make sure that they truly show um, that they're going to get outcomes. And when they don't, employers are holding off and allowing them to be incorporated into their formulary. So they're, they're able to um, control some of the high costs. Um, they're certainly not interested in um, denying access to a drug that's going to help a person, regardless of the price on it. Um, there's also um, a lot happening, we know, on the Hill. So employers are um, working to make sure their voice is heard too, so that when legislation does get passed, um, they're included in that and benefit from the changes. And then, so other than big issues like opioids, diabetes, cancer, which are continuous issues for employers to deal with for their employees uh, and are all very expensive, um, what are some growing health issues that employers are increasingly looking to address? Yeah. So. Today's day two of our 39th annual conference, and it is not a coincidence that we have um, three different sessions on mental health. So the um, employers recognize the need to um, address mental and behavioral health, and that it is a problem um, throughout the healthcare industry, and it's one that everyone's kind of been looking away from. 
Um, and you know, everyone talks about stigma, and we need to address stigma. And you could say because of that, they haven't been paying attention to it. Um, but it's not really that. It's that they all see that it's broken, and it's going to take a lot of work to fix the system to make sure that people really get the care that they need. So we've started down that path um, as an organization. Uh, we have pulled together a group of employers who want to work with other stakeholders to see what we can do to fix the mental health system. Um, so we've started with looking at access and where all the barriers exist because it's great if you address stigma in the workplace and um, make sure that people have access to EAP and that they're aware that EAP is, is there and they're feeling comfortable with um, accessing that resource. But then what happens when they need to get out and see a psychiatrist or a psychologist and there's not one available, or they have to wait three to six months to get in to see them. So if you address the stigma without addressing access to care in a timely manner, then, um, then it doesn't do us any good. So that's where we're starting, and, we, um, and you will be hearing more from us about that and uh, how we intend to, to move that needle and really impact um, what is happening within the state of Illinois and then how we can take that across the country. So there are a lot of policies, um, some proposals, some that are finalized that are coming out from the Trump administration. Are there any that you are particularly excited about? Well, we're watching and we've been through our National Employer Initiative on Specialty Drugs. Um, which is a 10-year-old project where we saw the cost of specialty drugs skyrocketing. We knew what was coming in the pipeline. Uh, employers have been concerned about what they're going to do. We tried to really develop relationships with some of the middlemen, players out there, to mitigate some of those costs. Um, and every chance we tried, we were not necessarily successful, and we found that employer PBM and health plan contracts uh, protect the middleman. So the employer couldn't get the drugs at better pricing because it was all kind of tied up. And now with the integration of health plans and PBMs, uh, it, we're not going to see cost savings even though we're promised that. And so this project morphed from being an educational uh, initiative to educate employers across the country of any size what's biologic and specialty drugs were, what kind of coverage approaches and benefit plan designs they should take, uh, what kind of uh, things that they should be asking their vendors. And um, I think that the, what we have found is that we have, our challenges have been some of the vendors have blocked us from being innovative. It's the jumbo employers that are, are doing the disruption, doing the disruptive things, being innovative. And we're learning for the, we're learning from our members that are doing that. One of the things that we're focusing on now is contract optimization. It's the PBM contracts that employers have that prevent them from using their data uh, and it prevents them from having access to all of the rebate dollars or the administrative fees, which can increase employer costs arbitrarily by 10 to 40%. So contract optimization can get rid of all that contract language that is preventing employers from saving money through 
middlemen holding on to that, but they're not. They haven't manufactured the drug. They're just processing a claim and adding to the cost. So uh, that's kind of our, our uh, spotlight moment with that. And as a result of that, we've been waiting to get rid of rebates for years. So we're very excited about the legislation. We really believe in some form it's going to pass in January. We should know in the next few months. The challenge we have is that the government's talking about uh, doing this rebate uh, situation where they'll give the patient the rebate at the point of sale. And that's not really where the only problem is. The employer plan design design determines how much a patient's going to pay, correct? So if we have to believe that em if employers were to get that rebate back, they would be reducing that cost anyway, and that's what they should do. It's the right thing and ethically, and they do do that. Um, but the point of sale part is going to be hard to administer, and it's not the direct, it's not the best way that they can be doing it. I also think it might uh, make it easier for the players, the middlemen in the marketplace to continue to hide money. Are there other policies or proposals that are coming out that concern you that maybe um, it's not the best thing for the employers who are actually delivering these benefits? Well, you know, just like the ACA, nobody was thrilled with it, but now that it's there, nobody wants it to go away, right? Um, the Rebate or Safe Harbor Act, which gets rid of rebates, everybody's ex we're excited about it because we've been talking about for five, six, seven years and, and being very transparent about what's going on in the marketplace. And nobody wanted to know these, nobody wanted this to come out. Now it's out and now it's starting to change. But be careful what you wish for sometimes because how politicians see uh, what should change and everything should focus on the patient. Um, but giving the rebates to the patient at point of sale is probably not the best way to do it, but it's a start in the right direction like the ACA. And, and my little soapbox is that employers are the real payers of healthcare. We cover almost 60% of all healthcare costs in the country. The government covers the rest. And even though we may do it through health plans and PBMs, they're not the payers. They're just doing it on our behalf, whether you're fully insured or self-insured. So we really want to see, and we are seeing employers as catalysts for change in not only the medical benefit, but the pharmacy benefit as well. So HHS recently finalized the rule of including drug prices in TV ads. Now, this specifically applies to Medicare and Medicaid, but you know there's going to be a spillover, I'm sure. What do employers think of this, and how do they think it will impact their employees? I think that they, it will not solve any problems, um, and it's not the real cost. It's not the negotiated cost, right? And I also have to say that uh, even though pharmaceutical manufactured drug costs are high in a lot of cases, and we hear horror stories, some of the reason they're high is because they have to pay middlemen rebates and administrative fees to get on formulary. So if that changes, we'd love to see the reduction of those costs. Everybody should make a little less to keep employers in the game. Um, and I don't know if that's going to happen or they're going to take it easily, but um, I think that employers would probably say it's maybe a good thing, but it's not the true cost. It's not the bottom line cost. If patients really knew how much all of the middlemen were holding on to and the other players, they might have a different view of all this. Um, so I will be interested to see how they do this. If, um, if it, it's gonna wind up being um, the retail cost, I suspect, because every contract is different. And one of the challenges in this marketplace is that every single contract with every single company, with every single player, with every single employer, every stakeholder has a different contract on something else with someone else. There are millions and millions of them. Well, that's part of the problem. 
uh, that there needs to be more standardization. There needs to be, certainly the patient should be thought of first, but in the end, employers, are, employers provided healthcare benefits as a way to recruit and retain and because they really and truly do care about their employees and family members. And right now, at least for today, we sort of are mandated to do it. That could change tomorrow, um, as we know through uh, potential legislation. My members will continue. We've surveyed them many times. They will continue to offer benefits because it's the right thing to do. And they really do care about the health and well-being of their employees and family members. But um, smaller employers may walk away because it's cost prohibitive. And the larger employers are getting their needs met in terms of contracting and pricing. But that small to mid-sized employer, they're the ones struggling and they need the support with cost relief the most. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. For coverage from the Midwest Business Group on Health's annual conference, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, you can email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.